Well, good evening. So glad that you've come back to be with us this evening in the service. If you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. We're starting a new series through the book of Daniel. And entitled this series, Living as an Exile. The book of Daniel is a prophetic book. But the first six chapters are very practical, and they have to do with Daniel's personal life. But chapters 6 through 12 concern Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel is much like the book of Revelation. In fact, you must understand the book of Daniel before you can understand the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation sheds a lot of light on the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is highly criticized, but those criticisms are born out of unbelief. The book of Daniel predicts events in the second century that are so precise, they have such precision that critics believe that it had to be written after those things occurred because they don't believe that it could be possible that the Bible could be that accurate and its prophecy. Ezekiel, a contemporary of Daniel, speaks very highly of him. You find that in Ezekiel chapter 14. But the matter is uh, settled for me by the fact that Jesus believed the prophecies of Daniel. For he says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, Therefore, when you see the spirit of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel... Now, if you know anything at all about the book of Daniel, then you probably know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But there would never have been a victorious story of Daniel in the lion's den when he was much older had there not been a story of the decisions that he made as a young man. As Christians living in a secular society, Peter reminds us that we are aliens and strangers in this world. So how are we to function in such a way that we influence our society without being corrupted by it? Well, tonight we're going to look at the life of this young man, Daniel, and see the choices that he made. There are three things that I want us to talk about because there are three things that everyone is going to face. First of all, the greatest trial. The greatest trial is to trust God when your, word, when your world falls apart. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the oracles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and brought the articles into the treasury house of his God. And the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, 
who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature at the Chaldeans. The tribe of Judah's exile to Babylon during Daniel's time was not nearly an accident of fate. It was the result of Judah's continual disobedience to God. God had warned them as far back as Leviticus chapter 26 that there would be blessings for obedience and there would be curses if they disobeyed. God warned them specifically that if they persisted in disobedience that he would scatter them among the nations in exile and Leviticus chapter 26. The southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah, is now reaping a bitter harvest for long years of disobedience to the word of God. There were three deportations of the Jews that took place, the first in 605 BC, 605 or 606 BC, and this is the one that we're considering here. The second came in 597 BC, and the third resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. It says here <clears throat> that the king wanted young men to be selected from the household of the king. That is, they, they were to be of royal lineage, and it says that they are to be young men. Young men here is a term which was used of teenagers between the ages of 12 and 15. These were young men without any def defect. They were handsome. They showed aptitude for every kind of learning. Today, that it would mean that they scored high on their ACT scores. They were smart guys. They were qualified to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians. In other words, he wanted to immerse these Hebrew young men in a totally different culture. I think the greatest trial you will ever face is to trust God when your world falls apart. Here was Daniel. He grew up a, a good Jewish boy in Israel, in Jerusalem. He had the word of God. He had the temple. He prayed to the God of Israel. Suddenly, a foreign enemy conquered his nation. He was taken as a teenager between the ages of 12 and 15 and placed in a totally different culture, a totally different environment, a totally different language, different people, different food. And they said, you've got to become a new person. Now, that's tough. It's tough when you move to a new school or a new community but can you imagine being totally taken into a different culture? I try to imagine this and imagine some way in which this could happen. Let's suppose, for an example, we lost World War II and that the Japanese took over America. They bombed and destroyed Washington, D.C., and they exported some of the finest young people from America to Tokyo, Japan. Suddenly, they could no longer listen to the music they grew up listening to. 
They could not wear the clothes that they wore when they were here. They could not eat the foods they were accustomed to. You couldn't even pray to God. Suddenly, you were made to eat Japanese food. You were made to pray to Japanese gods. You were to wear Japanese clothes. And they were going to change you into a Japanese person. That's what happened to these 12 and 15-year-olds. And it was tough. Literally, their world fell apart. Now, the question is, of course, can you trust God when your world falls apart? I don't know anybody that's been taken and immersed in a different culture lately. But there are some people that you may like, feel like your world has fallen apart. Maybe someone you know and love has died. Maybe someone that you know and love has got the report that they have an incurable disease. Maybe some kind of financial problem or family problem. Or you have a tremendous decision that you don't know the right decision to make. It seems that your world is crumbling. The biggest trial you have to face is that to trust God when your world is falling apart. So the theme of Daniel is Jehovah is God and he is in control. And that's the theme of all 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. Even though Daniel was in a different culture, a different land, even then, God was behind the scenes orchestrating all of the affairs of his people. We have to understand something this evening. It's easy to trust God when things are going great, when all your bills are paid, when your health is great, when everybody loves you and you love everybody. Then it's easy to trust God. But when the bottom falls out, and the trials come, will you trust God then? Well, Daniel did, and we can too. The second temptation is to compromise your beliefs to be like everyone else. Look at verse number 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision from the king's delicacies of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. The same food the king ate, the same wine he drank, they offered to these young men. From among these sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishaiah, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave new names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel was the first to resolve that he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And Daniel's three friends then followed his lead. Not only that, but two chapters later in this book, we see these three young men standing by themselves in front of a fiery furnace facing death. The greatest temptation you ever face is this, and that is to compromise your beliefs, to compromise your convictions, to be like everyone else. And in other words, to do things because everyone else is doing it, even though it is not your belief. Now that's, that's what happened to Daniel 2,600 years ago as a teenager. 
and it's happening every day in our society. It's happening to every child, to every teenager, to every college student, and to every adult. We live in a godless culture. A self, we live in a secular culture. And you see it everywhere. It's in the music you listen to. It's in the television programs you watch. It's in the movies. It's in the magazines you read. And a lot of times, it's even in the educational process that you go through. It's everywhere, all around you. This culture is trying to immerse you and make you just like everyone else. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty shrewd. He knew that if you could take young people and you could change their minds and their hearts, he would have them for all of their lives. Because the values and the decisions you make as a young person are going to determine the rest of your life. There is a world out there, and by the way, that's why it's so important that as a church, we have an outstanding children's ministry and an outstanding student ministry. That's why I've got, I'm glad we've got Brother Dan Kerr and we've got Brother Bobby Markham because I believe there's a battle going on for the minds and the hearts of the children and teenagers. And the devil and the world is trying to capture you and brainwash you to be just like everyone else. Here's what the Apostle John says about believers relating to the world. He said in 1 John 2, 15, don't love the world the world's way because love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. The world which, with all of its wanting, 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 is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is for eternity. Now, I want you to notice something. Daniel and these three Hebrew young men, they weren't being persecuted. They weren't being tortured. They were being fed extravagant food. They were being seduced. They were being enticed. That's what the world tries to do. It doesn't try to make you be real bad. It tries to seduce you and entice you to the point that you don't have time for God anymore. You know what the world wants to do. The world wants to make you so busy that you don't have time for God. The world wants to keep you so busy that you don't have to do, you have other things to do other than to attend church. The world wants to keep you so busy you don't have enough time to look at the word of God. And that's what the world does. For the most part, our world, now I'm talking about our world. Now there are some places where persecution is taking place. But in our world, we're not being persecuted we're being seduced. Daniel had to make a choice. Am I going to compromise my beliefs to be just like everybody else or am I going to take a stand? Of course, Daniel decided to take a stand. There are three points of crisis that Daniel faced and they are still there for us today. There's first of all an authority crisis. What is truth? The first crisis that we face is an authoritarian authoritative crisis. 
you have got the you have to have the answer to this question what is truth that's a good question philosophers have been struggling with it for centuries but most of us grew up in a family where your mom and your dad said this is right and that's wrong and we usually went to church where we're told the same stuff this is right this is wrong but you and I know that when you get out there in the world, you're faced with a totally different set of values. There are forces out there that tell you, hey, that's not necessarily true. Why do you accept something just because your parents told you? Why do you accept that as true because your preacher tells you or your church tells you? Come on, is that really truth? Even today in America, truth has become relative. Our culture tells us there is no such thing as absolute truth. They say that may be true for you. That may be truth for you, but it's not truth for me. They try telling us that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And that's one of the biggest dangers we face today because the Bible says that there are some things that are true for everybody and some things that are wrong for everybody. There's such a thing as absolute truth, even though our culture says that there isn't. Do you know what our culture says is the biggest sin? Intolerance. Intolerance is the biggest sin. If you believe the Bible and you say the Bible condemns homosexual behavior, they say you're wrong, and they will brand you as intolerant and even perhaps guilty of hate speech. If you say that the Bible teaches that abortion is killing of the innocent, you're branded as a dangerous fanatic. If you say there's one way to heaven and that it is Jesus and not Muhammad and not Buddha, and not anyone else but Jesus, then our culture labels you intolerant. But truth is, though, there is such a thing as absolute truth, and it's found in the Bible. Now, what we have to realize is that somewhere along the line, you've got to decide. Am I going to believe the word of God, that it is true, or am I going to accept what my culture says is right? That's the same decision that Daniel had to make. There is an authority crisis. There is also an identity crisis. Who am I? You're going to have to answer the question, who am I? Well, did you know that Daniel's name means Jehovah is judge? But he moved to a new culture and they gave him a new name, Belshazzar. And he gave all three of the young men new names. All of their names were connected to the God of Israel. And so they were given new names, which were all connected to the pagan gods of Babylon. They said, Daniel, we're not going to call you your... Hebrew name anymore. We're going to give you a new name 
that represents your connection to a pagan god. Well, you'll notice all the way through the book of Daniel that he is called what? Daniel. Pete asked me, okay, why did the other three not go by their Hebrew names? They went by their Babylonian names. And I'll give you the same answer I gave him. I don't know. I don't know. But Daniel was able to keep his name throughout. But you're going to have to, you're going to, have to decide, am I willing to be called a Christian in our culture? If you're willing to stand up and say you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to be looked at more and more as a fool in the sight of the world. Are you going to be identified as a Christian? You have to decide. There's not only an identity crisis, there is a moral crisis. How will I live? Here's the deal. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you guys come over here. I'm going to be your new authority. Forget God. That was the authority crisis. He said, I'm going to give you a new name. And there was their identity crisis. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Daniel, you have to eat my food. You have to drink my wine because I'm your boss. And Daniel had to decide, am I going to act the way the king of Babylon tells me to? Or am I going to act the way the king of kings wants me to? Now, you may be saying to yourself, eating and drinking is pretty much an insignificant minor issue. Well, Daniel's Old Testament Bible told him that he was only to eat foods that were kosher. They were cooked a certain way. There were certain meats that he could not eat. He could not eat pork. He couldn't eat beef that had been offered and sacrificed to idols. Daniel made a decision. I'm not going to do that. He faced a moral crisis. Here we are in the 21st century, and we as a culture are in trouble morally. Technologically and financially, we continue to prosper. But morally and spiritually, we are bankrupt. If you don't believe it, open your newspaper in the morning, and I think you'll find that's true. I don't think anyone honestly can disagree that America is worse off morally today more than it was 10 years ago. It's more bankrupt today than it was 20 years ago. The morals in America have not improved in the last 30 years. We only see America going down, down, down. <clears throat> A recent CNA, C. NN, I'm sorry, poll given to Americans asking their attitude about the Ten Commandments, 64% of Americans said that they would steal if they knew they could get away with it. When it came to lying, 74% of Americans said that they would lie under certain circumstances. Your greatest temptation is to compromise your convictions just so you can be like everyone else. Now, let's end on a more positive note. Your greatest triumph is going to be to be 
to stay pure in the midst of moral decay. The most important verse in chapter 1 is verse 8. I might say the most important verse in the whole book of Daniel is chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel did what? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. And therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, hmm, you know, I don't think I can do that. He says, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink for, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your, your age? And then he would endanger my head before the king. He says, only one man's head's going to roll and it's mine and so we're not going to do that. Well, Daniel didn't give up. He says So Daniel said to the steward, that is he goes down one notch down from the head man to the man who is directly over them and he says to them, uh, to the head of the eunuchs, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let, us, let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies and you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now if you've got a King James Version, the word that's translated in verse 12, again in verse 16 is vegetables, was the word pulse. How many of you want to sign up for some pulse this evening? Well, <clears throat> the word in Hebrew means food that comes from seeds. That would mean fruit, vegetables, and grain, and water to drink. So the greatest triumph of life is to stay pure in the midst of moral decay. That's what Daniel did. Verse 8 as I said, of <clears throat> chapter 1 is the most important because it is the key to understanding the character of Daniel. He purposed in his heart. He made a decision, and he stuck with that decision. Daniel's statement in the second part of verse 8 that he might not defile himself. That sounds kind of harsh to us, to our ears, that I don't want to eat that because that might defile me. Well... It implies, not, rather than being harsh, it implies that Daniel explained the spiritual basis for his request. We have to be willing to face up to our godless culture and say, I will not defile myself. I'm willing to be different. But if you do so, if you make that decision, there are some things you have to understand. First of all, it's a hard decision. Because primarily of peer pressure. Everyone else was eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine, and Daniel was willing to be different. 
it's tough. Peer pressure. And the one thing about peer pressure is it never ends. You are always under peer pressure. As a young person, as an older person, as an adult, you're still under peer pressure. Just one example is how we talk. You hear profanity everywhere anymore. Everybody talks that way. Your friends talk that way. You hear it on television. But you know what profanity is? I love this definition. Profanity is the attempt of a weak mind to express itself forcefully. If you dare to be a Daniel, it'll be a hard decision. It will also be a humble decision. I think it's very important to notice how Daniel went about his decision. He wasn't obnoxious about it. He didn't go around looking down on everyone else and thinking how spiritual he was. I don't think he made a big deal about it. He wasn't judgmental. He wasn't critical. He just said for for me, I'm not going to do it. And I think it reminds us of the stand that Joshua took way back in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Remember what Joshua said? He says, but if serving God, actually he says, if serving the Lord, and it's L-O-R-D, all caps, that means Jehovah. If serving Jehovah seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But the last part's the important part. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the attitude we need to have. It was a hard decision. It was a humble decision. But ultimately, it was an honored decision. Verse 17. For as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding on all visions and dreams. Now at the end of days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them. And he found none like them. And therefore they served the king. Verse 20, in all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. Now, remember when we talk about the words magicians and astrologers, we're primarily talking about those people that we've called in the New Testament the Magi, all the secrets of the Magi. Verse 20 answers a very important question. Is it possible to be educated in a secular society and still believe in God? Isn't that a crucial question for our age? Is it possible to be educated in a secular society and still believe in God? The goal of the Babylonian education was very clear, to change their way of thinking. And our world is surprisingly like Babylon. It is pluralistic in theology. 
By that, I mean anything goes. You can believe in any God you want. But it is surprisingly uniform in its opposition to true biblical faith. In other words, you can believe anything you want to accept biblical Christianity. You can believe anything, any wild, extravagant thing out there. You can believe that aliens came here and populated our world. And that's fine as long as you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. As long as you don't believe that the Bible has the answers for mankind. One, one writer put it this way. Public prayer is marginalized. Abortion is legalized. Secularism is idolized. And Christian values are minimized. Pretty accurate description of our world. Verse 21 says, and thus Daniel continued until the first year of King, of King Cyrus. That's 70 years later. Daniel is now an old man. Daniel is now probably in his 80s. He has served through the reign of four kings. He has served through <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar I, Nebuchadnezzar II, Nebuchadnezzar I, we see in Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3. Nebuchadnezzar II, we see in Daniel chapter 4. And Belshazzar, we see in Daniel chapter 5. He served through all of their reigns. And his wisdom was impeccable. He was given the ability to understand dreams. God, I believe, will always honor that kind of of decision. Now, I'm not going to tell you that that honor always comes in this world, that you're always going to be lauded before the world for making the right decisions. You may not. But after 10 days of eating that kind of food, those guys look wonderful. They look strong and healthy. But the reason they do it is not for health benefits. It was a spiritual commitment. And God honored Daniel. He became, as I said, an interpreter of dreams. Later on in his life, when he was thrown into the pit of lions, God shut the mouths of those lions. The decisions you make about the small things in life can pay great dividends in your future. The bad choices you make can lead to misery but the correct and good and right and noble and pure choices you make can lead to blessings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these who have been so faithful to come out tonight. I pray you bless our study of the book of Daniel. I pray that you make it alive and, and real in our lives, although these are examples of things that happened thousands of years ago. They're still very relevant to us today. I pray you give us understanding as we look into these words and you'll help us as we become to the prophet, the prophetic word, and you'd help us to understand those things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're